Welcome to the 301 Podcast, the interview podcast for the hottest up-and-coming entrepreneurs, artists, and creators. Real, authentic, and inspiring. And here is your host, Marcus Engel. Let's get it started in 301. In this episode, we talk to Victoria Pikowska, the founder of Victory Art, a platform that brings awareness to the European arts market. It's a super interesting episode about the early and artsy beginnings in photography, her fable for automation and her empowering way of leading a company and innovating the old-fashioned arts industry. Let's get straight into it in 301. Today I'm very excited to have Victoria Pikowska in the podcast because for the very first time uh, we dive into the world of arts again. Uh, in this podcast we talk a lot with entrepreneurs, we talk a lot with creators, uh, but this time uh, we dive deep, deep in the world of arts. Without further ado, Victoria, welcome to the 301 podcast. Yeah, thank you so much. First of all, shout out to you that you could pronounce my name perfectly. <laughs> I learned it from your from your webinars. <laughs> so shout out back. <laughs> I, I heard many variations of my name already. And it doesn't happen that often with uh, especially abroad that someone can really pronounce uh, my yeah, name properly. Nice. So like shout out to you. Awesome. <laughs> I will, not do, I, yeah, I will not do it again. I will just uh, tell, uh, tell Victoria from now on. <laughs> <laughs> okay, perfect. And well, uh, secondly, thank you so much for uh, hosting me. I'm really excited to be of here. Of course, super excited that you are uh, finally here. Um, I found on your LinkedIn profile something really funny uh, because you said, uh, I want to challenge the status quo and I'm a green tea addict. And uh, yeah. now hands down, how many green teas did you already have down today? Well, uh, I'm trying to really reduce my green tea intake at this point. So uh, today it was only five. Only five? Yes, only five. <laughs> Are you drinking coffee as well or is it uh, only green tea in this case? Well, if I need something stronger, I go for matcha. And uh, I had like a period when I was like drinking one coffee a day, but uh, for maybe like a few months this year, but I don't feel like doing it anymore. Yeah, I never yeah. like taste of coffee. I uh, don't like the taste coffee anymore. I don't know why I had that period, but yeah, I'm a full-time green tea addict. Full-time green tea addict, awesome. And I think, uh, especially for me, also very interesting always um, to meet a fellow expat. Um, and then also the question, uh, how did you end up here in the Netherlands? Uh, well, I'm coming from Slovakia. I was born there. And uh, for uni, I went to Prague to study there. And I really felt at some point Disney that I really want to go abroad. I want to experience, you know, new countries. I want to experience new industries and basically everything what world can offer me. And that was the moment when I was trying to like go abroad and really like explore as well some other educations. And my university, Charles University, offered me the opportunity to go either to Belgium, uh, to Denmark, or to Netherlands to study. And uh, in the end, I found out that Rotterdam is the best place for my particular degree. So I ended up here. And I was supposed to stay in Netherlands for three months. However, uh, this August, it was five years. Since I came to Netherlands. <laughs> so I came here and then never went back. That's amazing. And and what is the thing that you, you like most about uh, the Netherlands? Uh, the thing which made me stay in Netherlands uh, was the fact how people think. Like really the mindset of people. Like 
people were much more open to collaboration. People were much more entrepreneurial. And I just felt like, okay, I can just like go back, you know, and try to go through life in like ordinary way. Or I can just like take it, you know, a chance and just stay in Netherlands after I finish my exchange and just see where it goes. So I uh, I went for the second uh, second uh, choice and so far it pays uh, pays uh, well. Yeah, but it's also I find it also like really um, yeah encouraging that you took that leap of faith. Uh, like you were quite young uh, still then, uh, but you had this urge like inside of you to to do something uh, different. Like uh, where where's this urge coming from? Like were you always very adventurous or was this like really like your venture out of the the comfort zone? Yeah. Well, when I made the decision to stay in Netherlands, I was only 21. And uh, I was without family here, without friends, because majority of people who I got to know here left back uh, to their countries. Yeah. And uh, it really came from a place that I just wanted to explore. Uh, before, I used to be a professional photographer and I was mainly focusing on documentary photography. So at some point I was documenting um, uh, life of people in gypsy ghetto as well, like uh, in different, like uh, from different social backgrounds as well, uh, life of people in Prague. So it was like very, very different. And uh, maybe that was as well the thing what what uh, helped me to stay here because when you're a photographer and you really want to have uh, very authentic pictures, you have to risk it. You know, you just have to go through it. And uh, you cannot think how scared you are. Just go and think about your goal. So maybe that kind of mindset helped me. Yeah. And do you remember like how you got into photography? Because you said you were a professional photographer. Do you remember like when this kind of spark uh, went over to you that you said, ah, this is maybe something that uh, I could be very interested in? I exactly know. I exactly know. So uh, my grandfather, he used to be a photographer and he used to teach photography. So since I was small, I was always around cameras and pictures. And I used to spend uh, hours with him just sitting in the kitchen and discussing photography and his old stories and talking about uh, photos he was showing me. And um, one day when I was seven, my mom bought a camera. It was like a really, you know, this like very basic, small film camera. And I took it and I just went to the street and I started taking pictures of people there. So it came very spontaneously to mm -hmm. me. And uh, since that moment, I was just like progressing and I was, uh, you know, working on myself. I was uh, changing um, the topics. Um, of uh, of my photos or like the inspiration I got uh, I got for my pictures. Sometimes uh, the inspiration uh, was people. Sometimes the inspiration was uh, even like a glass of like a wine glass. So it was very very different. And I, me as an artist, I went through different periods as well. And so that's what helps me a lot in my current work because I can understand them much better uh, than maybe just someone who's coming from business background. Mm. And uh, yeah, that was uh, that was. Uh, how I started taking pictures. Would you say uh, photography is art? Definitely. Definitely. It's different kind of art, but it's a uh, thousand percent art. 
Um, everybody prefers different kind of photography, the same as uh, everybody prefers different kind of paintings, right? Someone likes more realistic, someone uh, likes more uh, like abstract paintings or photographs. But definitely, um, I believe that the like the uh, advantage of photography is not fully yet explored, but I'm 100% sure it will come in the upcoming period as well. Uh, based on the fact that NFT is helping digital photography a lot. And I'm discussing right now digital photography because the old kind of film photography, it's it's amazing art and it's very, very much valued. However, the digital photography is not there yet. Yeah. Why do you think many people could perceive photography not as an art? Mm. I would say because the digital photography you can just print thousands of those pictures, and um, and then if you make so many copies of a single picture, then uh, it can partly uh, lose value because paintings and sculptures they're very amazing or they're that amazing because they cannot be copied they're unique they're original so there's one one of them but with digital photography and in general like digital art there was always this kind of fear on the market or from the buyers that oh i can just pay for something five thousand euros but then another thousand people will have it hmm. so i believe it's coming from this place and also i think a little bit um, the low entry point right because um I think I would maybe assume that like photography is maybe faster to learn or uh, for people more to learn than uh, painting a, a, a like a nice picture or doing like a nice uh, sculpture. Not saying that um, it is uh, that everyone has a talent, but I think now with all the technology that we have um, at hand, it's also maybe um, possible for someone who has zero talent uh, to take a beautiful picture, right? And then I think this is also sometimes a little bit. Um, The tricky part as well that the the entry barrier gets lower and lower for the people to also enter this art and and, and work in the the field maybe mm, maybe especially with new technologies you know you can buy a really great camera which can you know take picture for you if you put it on automate um, but you still have to train your eye with the composition and you you can make You can make a very mainstream kind of beautiful pictures of like a mountains and sunrise and sunset, but the but you know there is like different value than when you really keep working on portraits or like maybe product photography. Mm. So definitely depends. Depends. I definitely agree. Do you remember still um, your first uh, picture that you took that you were really proud of? Uh, yes. I remember as well. <laughs> it was uh, with the camera when I was seven years old, like that, like really the most basic camera. And um, there was a, a lady, which was old lady, a friend of my aunt. And I just was walking, I was walking home and I uh, met her on the street and I was like, oh, I'm just going to take a picture of you. And I kind of, I still have that picture. I kind of forgot about that picture. But uh, when I was progressing myself further and further as an artist, I realized that, oh, this was actually one of the first documentary pictures I ever took. And that was as well one of the pictures which defined in the end my career the most. Mm. 
That's super amazing. It's so nice, I think, to to also think back of like those um, yeah beautiful times, like old times. Uh, do you think it also helped you to uh, grow up in uh, Slovakia, shaping your artistic uh, mind in in that way? Definitely, definitely, because uh, I'm coming from a place which was overgovernment by Russia for many many years, and I have to say that. Slovakia, you know, is, uh, you know, getting there, it's coming, uh, it's, it's developing very much, it's, uh, you know, progressing and, um, well, we are still considered as a developed country, oh, sorry, developing country, not a developed country yet, but, um, yeah, well, in art industry, you can sense it a lot and you can sense it Uh, not only by uh, seeing the inspiration behind artworks from artists, but as well in mindset of people, especially in the past few months with this whole coronavirus craziness, I could uh, see maybe some very negative traits uh, of my country, what I'm not very proud of. I, I, very, think, I yeah. think everyone did. <laughs> I have to very openly say that uh, with these things which are happening right now in uh, Slovakia, I'm really not satisfied. And this made me even like uh, even realize much more how right I was about Slovakia, that people really like are not there yet, you know, like they are developing a beautiful country, especially younger generation, they are doing amazing progress. But the um, uh, influence of Russia And Soviet Union is still very much there. Mm. And uh, Soviet Union is, uh, or influence the way people still live, people lived and people were raised. So I have to say that my parents are very progressive, very modern. And so they are not like that, but many people are still there. And there was a kind of like, uh, how to say it properly, like uh, kind of a negative feeling within the society or negative undertone uh people were very scared to express themselves people were very scared to uh raise their opinion and i still believe that it is partly in the society and uh, mm. that is definitely shaping shaping uh, each person mm. no i can definitely uh, understand that um, my girlfriend is from lithuania um and i think um, like some things that you describe um I can see there as well, but more, I think, in the older generation. Um, and what I'm always very, very um, yeah, amazed by is like the, the younger generation that is uh, upcoming, uh, that is way more international, uh, that yeah, tries to learn many languages, um, that go out on like ventures to study abroad and, and come back to the country and work there again. So I find this, yeah, I find this fantastic because that's how the countries grow if like the Uh, yeah, the more developed country uh, countries uh, shape them, and they come back with the business mindset, with the um, spiritual open mind, and say like, well, we can also implement this in uh, in my home country. And I find this always like so so nice. Uh, I think uh, of like this expat experience, but also when you go back, that you yeah still want to help your your own country to to grow and evolve, basically. Yeah, definitely. That's nice. Like the younger generations are uh, going to shape uh, shape the countries a lot, but I still think that it's going to take some time, you know, for those like younger generations to really take over. Mm, but agree. definitely, there's like some so much potential in these countries. That's uh, that's why actually 
Victory Art, uh, the business which I'm running, is focusing on these countries because they are not explored. People don't know a lot about them. Uh, there is uh, as well a lot of stereotypes for each country from Eastern Europe, which I'm not going to name right now. But um, this is what we want to really overcome. You know, our motto is as well breaking stereotypes and building new perspectives. And we really want people to see Central and Eastern Europe in a completely different light than it used to be. Mm, that's amazing. I want to go before we talk about Victoria Art. I have many, many questions about it. But before we talk about that, um, I want to talk about your uh, choice of study because I find it quite interesting. You chose to study uh, humanistic studies in in Prague. Um, how how did you come up with that idea to to study that? Why were you so interested in this field? Yeah. Well. I was actually applying for art to art academy. However, uh, they did not accept me the first time. And I was very, very sad. Very, very sad those days. And I was like, okay, I really feel that I want to leave Slovakia. I really feel like I want to go to study abroad. And I felt like Prague was the place where I was supposed to go first. And uh, when I found out that they did not take me uh, to art academy, I was just like, okay. I still want to go to Prague, so let's think what I like. And I was—I uh, always loved history. I always loved uh, kind of politics. Nowadays, it's a little bit less. But I was, let's say, I was very excited about politics and like studying people. So I applied to Charles University for political studies and humanities. And they took me to both. However, then I started thinking like, do I really want to be a politician, do I really want to do that to myself? Am I really the kind <laughs> of person? And I found out that I was not. So I go. I went for uh, humanities, I was to study humanities and I loved it. It was the best school I could choose for myself because um, I could really make decision what I want to study. It was not like, you know, that kind of old school, kind of you needed they give you like a certain like a subjects and you have to study those particular classes or seminars but i could really choose and so i had a few mandatory but the rest it was really optional for me and it's not pretty common in central and eastern europe to study like this mm. so the first year i was uh, i was very much focused still on photography in the second year, I more uh, I more shaped towards media and manipulation uh, of people through media, and then the last year, uh, when I was in Prague, I more focused on the curatorial studies, so like how art industry works, uh, really like history of art, and uh, when I came to Netherlands. Uh, I started studying more, or like I became passionate about art business because uh, that was uh, the perspective about art industry was completely different when I studied in Prague and when I started it in Rotterdam, and uh, I had amazing, amazing teacher, amazing. She was she was perfect. She was great. She was so passionate about art. She was teaching us art business. She was teaching us how. Um, auction houses are working how the market is working working it, it was perfect and that made me really feel even more passionate about what i want to do in the future mm. i find that quite interesting because i think if you um, look at your um if you if you look at your profile from an outside perspective um you would maybe not conclude necessarily that you 
would start uh, like create a startup in the in the arts business you know what i mean no. so i think um because yeah you worked after like you graduated uh, um your your bachelor's degree um and then you also worked for a couple of years uh, in in uh, different jobs um was it ever for you like um an option after you graduated Uh, to continue in the academic uh, journey uh, to create maybe do a master's degree or a, a PhD later or something like this or was it more clear that okay I think I want to start working and then maybe start a business at one point well um, when I still used to be in Prague that was my goal like I wanted I imagine myself being in a school doing master going to do PhD I think PhD in Canada, in Quebec, there was a curatorial study school. I like, really wanted to go there. But when I came to Netherlands, to Rotterdam, I found out like, oh, okay, so maybe there are different ways how to do things. I don't have necessarily, you know, have to continue being in school and go this like old fashioned way. Mm -hmm. And when basically what I did was that, um, I extended my studies by a year because when I was uh, for I was here, uh, I came here for exchange. And when I was doing my exchange, I was supposed to do two schools at the same time. And I did not plan to stay in in Rotterdam in Netherlands. So I was like, yeah, I want to like enjoy a little bit here this exchange. I think that's pretty normal thing. That's what everybody uh, do when they like go abroad. So I did the same. I wanted to enjoy it. And so that's why I extended my school, uh, my degree by a year. And the the next year, the extended year, when I was, uh, you know, doing my exams, I realized like my school does not bring me anymore what I kind of expected. I don't feel like doing it anymore. I, at some point I almost quit <laughs> because I, I did not feel motivated anymore. You know, I was studying long distance or I was actually just fine to do my exams and I was doing my thesis. And uh, that moment was like, oh, I just really want to be done with this and I will see what's going to happen afterwards. And I, you know, when I started, like when I went into business and when I had my like first job and I actually started Victory Art, I, while I was graduating, I already, I was already working on Victory Art. So I never had any more that kind of vision for myself that I want to, you know, do master or do PhD because I just did not feel that way. Yeah. And also get energy from, right? I think that's mm -hmm. uh, a little bit that you're, you're seeking from. And I think that's sometimes a little bit the, um, maybe more difficult part about the academic uh, side um, i mean I've, i've heard that now a couple of times also with a lot of like podcast recordings that there's always this kind of um a little bit internal struggle should i stay in the academic field uh, where it's a lot of research and it's it's very profound and it's very helpful for a lot of people but sometimes the feedback immediately feedback and the, the energy is like a little bit um yeah It's difficult mm -hmm. to get it, right? And then mm -hmm. if you go to the business world and you do a great job, then people will tell you, oh, you did a great job. <laughs> uh, same like you do a bad job. But I think, um, yeah, I think before for the academic field, you really have to have a long, uh, yeah, a lot of patience, I think. Uh, mm -hmm. If you don't really have this, then I think it's difficult to to stay in this uh, I'm usually the highly executive person. So I execute on everything. 
you know, I want things, I want to do things, I want to learn things, but I don't want to necessarily, know, spend hours and days, like, writing a thesis and study, like, something what many people studied before me, you know, and I just, like, like read about it. Like, I, I love, you know, uh, progressing myself. I love, uh, you know, uh, getting new knowledge about different things, but I'm really, like, a person who likes execution. So for me, being in uni, it would not bring me any value at this point. Mm. And actually, uh, this first day, I will have a lecture on one of, like, a new... Uh, new concept universities in Amsterdam, which is very much focused on, on entrepreneurship. And uh, I will be speaking, I think, for guys from bachelor or master. I'm not sure right now, but it's, it's supposed to be free hour lecture about business, about my business and uh, basically how we're doing things. And what I really like about this school and the, and the reason why I said yes to this was because they are really focusing on creating things and really executing. And mm. this is something what I, what I, for example, would like for myself in the future. So um, really doing something what can already help you to create something not necessarily that, oh, okay, so I'm done here right now. And then I have to just, and now I have to start doing things. Mm. So I really, I really, for example, like hockey school, hockey school, because people who study there are usually more like, like proactive and, you know, hands on with things. And uh, with universities, I really don't see it that much. Yeah, I agree. And I think sometimes also like what I find a little bit sad sometimes that it's, it's still kind of divided, right? It's either academic or the business side. Um, and then I think now for you, uh, like you basically chose for the business side, but now you come back as a lecturer and you have like way more like hands-on knowledge and now you give a lecture, like how funny is that, right? So yeah, exactly. Uh, and I, I really love it because I w always wanted to do that. That, that yeah. was my dream already like 10 years ago. That's amazing. Yeah, so it's it's coming true now. But uh, yeah, I just I just really like you know bringing uh, the real value and like really having hands on, like mm. like really being proactive and action oriented. So <laughs> that's fantastic, and uh, yeah, and I think you also have to be action oriented um, because you founded uh, your own business. Uh, you worked for for two two and a half years, uh, and then you decided, mm -hmm. um, hey, I found my own business, uh, and then Victory Art was born uh, can you tell us what uh, victory art is about yes uh, so victory art is a startup initiative uh, association doesn't matter how you want to call it uh, and we are helping talented artists from central and eastern europe to come to the global art market so we are helping them to showcase their talent Uh, we're helping them to raise their voice on the market and we're helping them to find their way on the market. What I found so interesting, I mean, I said it before already a little bit, but I, I wanted to keep the, the, the storyline a little bit going for, for a minute there. Uh, but what I found so interesting is that um, you founded um, a business in arts uh, without having maybe like too much background into it. Um, like when did this... Um, thought shape that you say like well there's kind of a mismatch um also with uh, eastern european artists and the arts market and hey this is a startup where i think i should i should get into 
Actually, you know what? I'm going to tell you one thing, one thing from my past and that might, uh, that, uh, that might give you, but as well the uh, listeners a little bit better overview. So I was always super artsy person. I was the photographer and I wanted to be in galleries and museums, you know, and just like maybe work there and like build my art career. And, um, I actually, I'm coming from a, from entrepreneurial family so my mom has her own business her boyfriend has her own business so i was around uh entrepreneurs my whole life and i was raised in like this more like free way that like oh we're doing whatever we want and we're like working for ourselves so that was um that was kind of like example which i had since i was like very small and my mom always used to tell me like you're gonna uh, take over my business you're gonna have this business i'm building it for you and i was like no i'm never gonna be entrepreneur i'm gonna be in art industry i don't want to be in entrepreneurship it's like horrible i didn't know anything about it so i was really against it however you know <laughs> as we know now i uh, in the end founded my own company and i'm actually very happy about it still uh, so uh, when I was uh, on the art market, I saw how tough it was for artists to really showcase themselves, to really show to the world how talented they are. And that was mainly because of the very strong gatekeepers on the market uh, in Central and Eastern Europe. And I didn't like it. I just told myself like, hey, why talented people should not have exhibition or should not be seen just because they're not from art families or they are not studying on art academies. I just really didn't like this kind of way of thinking. Mm -hmm. And I wanted the market to be more democratic and I mainly wanted the buyers to choose for themselves. So if I like something, I, I just like it. I want to invest in it. I want to support this artist. I don't want someone from art academy or some other gatekeeper or maybe some some like a specific ranking to really tell me like uh, how it works. Hmm. Of course, before it was much tougher than it is right now, because uh, before the social media were not as popular as they are right now. So now, of course, it's like much more democratic than it used to be back then. But um, that was the first vision which I personally had. So I wanted to really create a platform which will help this artist to show their yeah. artworks and to show it to broader audience without, you know, like being uh, being extremely picky or mean to them or like just be very respectful. And this is how we started. So this was the first idea of Victory Art. And I had this idea, I think, already in 2015. Okay. But I really didn't know, like, how to start. So when I came to Rotterdam in 2016, I just had, like, a small, like, a plan, uh, what it should be about, what it is supposed to do, you know, who we should work with, but nothing specific. And uh, since I came to Netherlands, I started to be more involved in the entrepreneurial scene and I got to know as well some other young entrepreneurs and I saw how this environment was very supportive. And I told myself, okay, so I want to stay in Netherlands, but if I'm staying here, I'm not just going to do some random job, but I want to really create something for myself and use this opportunity. Because the worst thing what can happen is that, okay, I go back 
to Prague or like to my family that that's like the worst thing, completely worst thing what can happen. So let's just give it a shot. We don't mm. know what's gonna if it will work, if it will not work, it's fine. I'm just I, I have a you know door like back door always. Mm. And so I started working on a business plan and I showed it to a few people who told me like, oh, this is actually cool. I don't know anything about Eastern Europe. That sounds great. Like I would actually buy this. I would be interested in, in this. So of course, after having like this market research, which now I of course know it should be much deeper, much than done in a different way. Uh, I told myself, okay, it's like a person who has no clue about business that the first thing I need for myself is money. I need money in order to build a company. I need money in order to start. Uh, that was my art, art mindset talking, not business mindset talking. So luckily I started looking for a money. And I applied to a few like startup accelerators. Mm-hmm. However, those days I didn't know what's like startup accelerator, startup incubator either. So <laughs> I came to this random startup uh, accelerator and I met this guy, Aditya, who in the end became our first advisor. And he helped me to set up uh, the processes within Victory Art. He helped me to uh, start uh, basically Victory Art. He helped me to create a base for everything to have a proper business plan. And since that moment onwards, like more people started joining and Victory Art started growing and growing. And yeah, we're still growing. That's amazing. I think that's such a cool uh, founder story um, because different to many people, and that start uh, something on their own. Um, a lot of them are like quite convinced and they're not just starting out. And what I like uh, about you is that you just started, you didn't have like so much um, knowledge about what you're gonna do and how you're gonna do it, but more like the vision on like, I know what I want to create and I know what kind of platform I want to create. So that's, I think that's super, super cool. Um, well, I, I think that that was as well like a very big advantage because uh, the, the fact that I had no clue what I was doing. I think it was advantage in that moment because a lot of people come to this kind of, uh, uh, how to say it, like, like a blurry or blank space that like, hey, I don't know if I should really start it and they start really overthinking it. And mm. my advantage was that I didn't know what I was doing. So it was even better, you know, I, I couldn't be scared. I couldn't, uh, you know, overthink it because I didn't know what was waiting for me. Yeah, and I think that this is like a really um, big learning uh, for also everyone who is listening, uh, thinking of starting a business. Uh, sometimes it really pays off not to look too much into the markets uh, are there competitors uh, is there something because then you get quite scared uh, just because in i don't know on the on the other end of the world someone has a website with a similar product or something you think ah, okay someone is already doing this and then they they shut this down uh, so i think sometimes it really pays off just to do what you want to do and then later you can always fine-tune and you can always i think adjust to uh, I don't know, maybe the market or just to your competitor or that you have a competitive advantage or something like this. But I think it's so nice that you, that you mentioned exactly the same thing that I've also um, experienced like multiple times myself, but also with many founders that I, I talk to that it's exactly this of just going forward and just starting is way more valuable than uh, yeah having a 150-page business plan with all the customer research already done. 
No, so that's exactly. super nice. I, I I used to say that it's like just jump, just jump into like a water. You know, you don't know what's exactly there, but you have to give it a try. Otherwise, yeah, you're gonna feel sorry for the rest of your life. Exactly. If I would be an artist, um, let's assume, um, and I would come to you, uh, how could we um, manage to work together? Like, what are the steps uh, to? be accepted uh, for your platform and then my beautiful paintings would be listed on your on your website so first of all uh, you have to approach us uh, you have to email to our gorgeous curator who is going to be judging you who's going to go through your portfolio and see whether you are uh, fit for our website so lately we became of course like uh, more strict so we have to be, of course, more strict uh, already because we're growing. And uh, our curator will evaluate your artworks, whether they seem interesting, whether they're a good fit, how you're progressing as an artist. And afterwards, if so, we will gonna send you a link where you will upload all your details, like your portfolio, um, as well mockups, uh, pricing, uh, cover letter, CV. So we will get to know you as much as possible. And then you get access to our platform where you can upload the products. So this is the base of the cooperation. And afterwards, when once we have your portfolio, then we're going to start offering them, offering it to our clients. So we have, uh, within Victory Art, we have B2C segment and we have b2b segment and for b2b segment we have our business uh, development team internal business development team helping us uh, to basically work uh, and help as well to business clients and then we're gonna you know put you in the curations for specific clients or we're gonna uh, put you within a partnership uh, projects or creative projects we're working on so it's very different collaboration and what we what we did before and what we want to do again is uh, to organize exhibitions but we want to organize it from now onwards in a little bit diff different way and a little bit more exclusive way so we want to we don't want to just like have a gallery and uh, exhibit artworks in a gallery but we want to come closer to consumer, we want to come closer uh, to to you as a buyer. That's super amazing. I think I will definitely sign up for the for the partnership. <laughs> nice. <laughs> we have very talented artists who can even like make artworks, like commission artworks, and that's something what we see that um, uh, people really like it because many time, you know, you, you it's like with choosing close you just like feel like oh i really want this but i cannot just find it and our artists are amazing uh, uh, mainly because they're so great to work with so even you know if we want to create marketing partnership or creative projects or affiliate marketing or like whatever we're working on uh, we always can find a way to make it work and make it a very cool experience for client mm. I can imagine, and you also do that. Like I mean, you constantly also innovate uh, the, yeah, like your your website. You also um, constantly adapt, uh, and I think that's also like one of the things that I would like to ask you. Um, how did uh, COVID influence your your business or, or the the art market? Is that something that uh, kept you on your toes the past two years, or how did that um, impact you? Yeah. 
Uh, I get this question very, very often, and I love this question because I'm one of the very few people who can respond in the most positive way. So COVID influences in the best way possible, really best way possible. Uh, in general, for the art market, uh, it was still pretty good year in terms of um, of sales. I would say the art market went a little bit down, but not that much. Uh, however, uh, many auctions, exhibitions uh, turned into online experience and VR experience and uh, AR experience. And that was something that helped us a lot because before uh, people who were art buyers were very, very scared to purchase artwork online. Uh, so when we, you know, Victory Art was already on the market for like two years, two and a half years, and we, we were basically online platform, you know, online art platform, and people were still kind of like scared. In, uh, they were mainly buying, uh, they were mainly buying um, like a small uh, artworks or cheaper artworks, but they did not really want to uh, very much buy bigger artworks or even more expensive artworks and uh, the fact that corona kept us uh, in for such a long time uh, had to push even such old industry and uh, such a such old uh, monogamous market to really like develop hmm. so art market so an uh, online art market so amazing boom was here that's really nice. And you also, I think it's quite um, yeah, crazy that you uh, even launched those in innovative uh, concepts with like the AR f filters and those kind of things where people can really like try it out. Um, how do you see like the Victoria art evolving in this uh, sector from like a future perspective? Is there any more innovation planned for now? Well, we are already working on VR exhibitions. So we have a partner who is able to, you know, provide us with VR exhibitions. So even uh, if people come to our website right now and they check our Christmas curation, they can even see it in VR. Um, but that's as well with art buyers. It's uh, still pretty like a tricky thing. They are already kind of used to AR, but not VR yet. Mm -hmm. So we're doing as well baby steps with them to make them like feel more comfortable. Like, hey, you don't have to go to gallery. You can just see it in your house. And uh, in terms of other uh, tech development, we want to enter the NFT market. So we are actively doing steps towards entering this market. So in terms of preparation artworks and as well, uh, preparation uh, all uh, you know technical backend from our side. Mm. Super nice. Uh, so there's a lot of innovation uh, coming. So we definitely have to watch mm -hmm. out for those NFTs. <laughs> <Yes. laughs> um, do you think that there's something uh, fundamentally wrong with the art market? Hmm. In terms of like, question. Uh, uh, do, do you need more context or, or can you already answer? Mm, I have a few answers. I have answer from, uh, from I, I'm going to give you answer from three perspectives, okay? So from perspective of artist, uh, artist has to start and uh, they, they have to basically understand that uh, they are not artists, they are artpreneurs. So they have to learn how to brand themselves, how to market themselves, how to create partnerships and how to serve their clients. 
you as an artist, you're not an artist, you're not a creator anymore. You are at the same time entrepreneur. The very nice term, artpreneur. I keep using it often. You are artpreneur. So artist has to understand these things. Um, second thing, uh, from perspective of uh, art industry, art market, and art critics, uh, there is still a very big um, how, how to say it properly. It's like no, it's it's more like not appreciating female artists enough. So really more objectifying female artists and not really seeing their talent. So art industry still can do much better in terms of equality. Art industry is not equal yet. Uh, I have to personally say majority of our artists are females. Um, and we're one of the very few companies who has, uh, who's working mainly with females, but in general, uh, you have many movements within art industry, like for example, Guerrilla Girls, who had a huge marketing campaign, raising voice uh, about lack of female artists in museums and galleries. And basically, uh, there was this um, very famous campaign saying if if female, whether females uh, have to be naked in order to be in Metropolitan Museum. Uh, because I think that there were 90% of male artists and majority of those male artists were only painting naked women. Oh, wow. So, yes, this was a very powerful campaign and I still believe it's very, very contemporary topic. And uh, as well as a f female, as a mother, in general, not only as an artist, they have it much tougher, you know, to be on... Uh, you know, out there because they have so many responsibilities and they still don't get a lot of appreciation for doing all these things. Mm. So in general, uh, from art market, I would say this thing. And uh, from a perspective of a buyer, I would definitely uh, mention that many buyers don't understand the value of art. For, for many people, it's uh, a lot to pay 2,000 euros for artwork, but it's not a lot to pay 2,000 euros for a sofa. Hmm. And they don't understand uh, the pers like the investment they are like, you know, doing. They don't understand uh, how many hours artists put uh, behind it. And they don't understand how long it took artists to get to the point to create that artwork, you know, because it's not like you just wake up and it's there. No, you really have to train. So uh, those are three elements. And one last, one extra bonus. One extra bonus one. One extra bonus uh, would be that uh, art market is getting more transparent. Uh, however, it still has uh, some, you know, time to go. So NFT is helping uh, not only artists but as well buyers to be more less protected. Uh, but if they are, if there are more information about artworks and basically pricing, and the art market is like more open place, uh, then buyers would be as well more confident. Yeah, I find like, uh, I mean, all those points uh, really, really nice. I think the, those could be uh, uh, podcasts on their on their own, I think. Um, 
I, I think uh, it's really nice that you with your startup, uh, you solve many of, of those issues. Uh, I think that is really, really fantastic. Um, and one thing that really hit me also, like when I did the, the preparation for this podcast, um, I was listening to a couple of uh, YouTube videos and you had like a one small two minute uh, YouTube video where a lot of artists were talking. And one of them was saying, Uh, yeah, I just want to create. I don't want to take a picture. I don't want to create a website. I just want to create. Um, and I found this, um, yeah, like really opened my eyes a little bit, especially what you then said about the entrepreneur, um, that uh, an artist nowadays, uh, yeah, even though that there are so many tools with Shopify and with Instagram or whatever, but they still have this kind of need that, Yeah, they are not good, uh, maybe entrepreneurs. They are good what they are doing, like on their artistic, on the artistic level. But then it ends there. But then no one will buy their their product because it's just not not marketed. So it's, mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's fantastic uh, what you're doing. And at the same time, I find it um, crazy how uh, multifaceted the business is. Um, so you have the artist management side, the e-com side, partnerships, the innovation technology part. How do you keep an overview of all those topics as a founder? Uh, I have to tell <clears throat> that firstly, I have amazing team uh, and I have to thank definitely to my team uh, to for the fact that Victoria is working the way we're working. Uh, I'm me personally as a founder, I'm, I'm using a lot of hacks. So I have, uh, I have multiple email accounts. Everything is in my Gmail. Uh, I use uh, Drive. So everything is like, you know, on my drive so I can, you know, keep track of the files. I'm using uh, Calendly, same as you. Uh, everybody who wants to talk to me, they either get 15 minutes or 30 minutes window to, you know, talk to me. So of course, there are some exceptions, but uh, I mean, like the general meetings, it's as well automized. Um, uh, yeah, I'm trying to automize everything as much as possible. And uh, I'm using Zapier as well. Zapier is my friend too for like different <laughs> triggers because, of course, business development is where it's using uh, HubSpot. The marketing team is using many other systems. So I really try to have everything in one. Mm. And now the the trick, the biggest trick for for me personally, it's um, it's ClickUp. So we have a project management system. Every each person within our team has access to the project management system, and everything has to be documented there. Everything. So this is uh, this is my uh, my policy. Yeah, but it's really nice so that you that I mean I, I worked in a couple of corporations. I know how difficult it is to implement systems. Um, I, in the past we worked with Asana, but then there were also the developers that worked with Jira. So, you know it did not really match like the, the the kind of systems and then you have like um, two or three management systems in your in your uh, in your environment and then yeah basically you lose track so uh, respect for for keeping your 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 employees on their toes and putting documenting everything thank that's you really nice. actually um, that's we have as well like a guidelines so if there's like uh, like a documentation of the processes you know so if we're starting doing something in a different way everything has to be documented but this is a shout out i want to give to myself because in general i i get it from my mom she 
has amazing talent for having overview of everything. My mom somehow knows everything, sees everything, you know, remembers everything. I don't know how she, how, why, or like what, but I get it from her as well. <laughs> so that's helping me pretty a lot. That's really nice. How does it feel for you now, um, especially when you talk about um, having all those different systems and marketing and this team, and then I have all the overview. Uh, you founded it four years ago, I think, the company. Uh, then you were on your own. You had like one person that that helped you. Uh, how does it feel for you now having like 10 potentially more freelancers and people that are involved uh, under you and, and working with you? Uh, it feels It feels great. It really feels great because uh, I perceive Victory Art as uh, my baby. It's like my small baby, you know, and it's growing and you just see it growing and you see more people jumping in and being excited. And of course, it's becoming a bigger responsibility for me uh, as a founder. But uh, in general, I very much enjoy it because majority of, uh, of startups uh, basically end within one year. Uh, 99% actually, and from this small 1% and within um, 99% out of this 1% of startups ends within three years. And then the the rest, uh, they might become scale up if they make it, you know? So mm. I feel very proud uh, that we're this rare, you know, startup, which survived, which is surviving as well, the pandemic. Uh, which is benefiting from pandemic. And um, I really want to give credits to everybody who ever worked on Victory Art because every single person brought a lot of value. Uh, it doesn't matter if things go uh, good and or things go wrong, there's always value in it. So it's uh, either, you know, like the shimpy moment or learning moment. And uh, it's just, it, it will be always there, but I'm just super happy that we really had chance to work with uh, people from different countries, different uh, uh, age groups, different expertise, different fields who really helped us to grow. That's so, really amazing. And one of the things that I would really, really love uh, for everybody or every founder to do is uh, to really brainstorm with their team as much as possible because i see that for us internally it's working well because people feel like they are bringing value they feel like they're doing decisions they feel like they're shaping the company they feel that their opinion matters they're bringing usually amazing ideas and uh, it's just working for us internally really great Mm. And there are a lot of times the ones who work uh, the most with the, like that are so deep in their specific field that they know exactly um, they have to work with it in the end, right? Mm -hmm. So I think um, a lot of people are a little bit uh, deaf, uh, especially management function when it comes to their own stuff. Um, so they would listen much rather to some external consultants um, rather than like listening to their own internal teams so i think that's uh, that's amazing that you that you also implement this uh, already very early um but what i find so so crazy is that like you basically you don't only talk to talk but you also walk the walk um how do you make sure um to also walk the walk constantly um how do you make sure to 
keep yourself like motivated and like where do you get the energy from hmm. <laughs> uh, well if the days are good then it's pretty easy right to have motivation but if the days are rough or something goes wrong then it's a little bit tougher and yeah and how do you cope when things don't go as planned um, um well you know in the beginning uh, of victory art many things uh, kind of we were working a lot a lot and a lot and you just don't see necessary results and during those days uh the only or like the thing what uh, helped me to go through was that okay i don't care i'm just going to make this work like i don't care like okay this was like a bad day tomorrow is a new day so we're gonna start all over again but i'm king and i started this to basically make it work so i'm gonna make it work that was the only change what i that, that was the only outcome which mm -hmm. i had on my mind i don't care this is gonna work and I put uh, my everything in it in the, really nice. yeah, in the first years. And nowadays when, uh, when something goes wrong, like for example, we had uh, like one small uh, thing yesterday with our website, uh, after like the first uh, minute of frustration leaves, then I'm like, okay, so we're gonna fix it. Like everything is fixable. There will be always bad days. There will be always, um, you know, mistakes or like, uh, you know, it doesn't matter how hard you try to control things. You cannot control everything and there will be always something going wrong. So the only thing is like, okay, this happened. Can I fix it? If yes, I'm gonna fix it. If no, then, you know, I, I cannot fix it. I have to just let it go. And the next day, we, we're starting all over again and people don't feel motivated every day. I think like motivation is one of the biggest scams of like capitalism because you don't feel all the time motivated. You cannot feel motivated. Okay. Like Gary Vaynerchuk cannot feel motivated all the time. But uh, the only thing that uh, can help you is the consistency. You know, just like, okay, maybe today I don't feel as good because I don't know. Uh, I have fever or like um, I had a very big fight with my partner or something, but okay, I'm trying to calm down. I'm trying to do my best and if it doesn't work. Then tomorrow I'm going to, you know, keep up with, with this stuff. So maybe as well, not expecting from, uh, from yourself always hundred percent is a pretty good thing to do. Mm. I 100% agree. I think uh, yeah. there's uh, not much to add. I know that Gary Vaynerchuk would not agree, but yeah, <laughs> I, I do. <laughs> <laughs> um, what, what, what would be uh, one thing that you would have wished um, to know before you started Victory Art? Well, I think that there are like thousands of them, <laughs> but um, wow this uh this really took me this question because <laughs> i have like a thousand things on my mind right now but if i should name one thing then it would be maybe perspective about things because in the beginning when i was starting like even the singles thing was like the end of the world for me even like oh my god like this instagram post did not go like when it was supposed to go you know 
then oh my god it was so bad like why it doesn't work you know like it was supposed to go guys why this didn't work and uh, of course like we, we progress like things are you know like uh running much more smoothly than before but even if it happens now of course like this is a very minor thing but if there's like a bigger thing what happens right now and it doesn't go the way it is supposed to go then i'm like okay will this influence our business in a year will this matter in a year if it doesn't matter in a year then i'm like okay yeah whatever let's fix it but let's make sure that uh, it does not happen in the future but i have like a bigger perspective uh about things yeah What are the next uh, big steps then now for uh, Victory Art uh, or maybe also for yourself? Like what would you say are like in the maybe short, shorter term and long term, the next uh, steps for that is planned for, for yourself? Well, uh, Victory Art team is successfully working on our marketing and business plan for next year. It's almost finalized. Nice. Uh, so we already have it clear, at least for next year. Uh, but in general, uh, if I should not go into such details because it has few pages, so I'm not gonna, you know, mention <laughs> that many things. Uh, mainly it's about, um, growing even more. So like getting more uh, people to our website, uh, getting more returning visitors, uh, improving product pages, for example, um, as well uh, increasing amount of uh, partnerships uh in terms of uh, for example high class uh com I, i don't want to go into such details but yeah. uh, like high class companies or as well uh in terms of partnerships with much bigger corporations than we are so right mm. now it's more about making as much noise about ourselves as possible That's nice. I think that uh, sums it up quite well. Um, I think it was amazing. Um, I slowly want to uh, bring this podcast home because I think we talked about so many different topics. We talked about your uh, photography, um, about going abroad, about ending up in the Netherlands, uh, maybe even though that you uh, didn't plan it in the end uh, when you came here first. Um, we talked about, uh, yeah, I think starting a very, very powerful platform um, that has a very bright future ahead, uh, not only with um, the work you do, but also with the, all the innovations that is yet to come with the VR classes, with uh, VR tours, with NFTs, etc., etc. So I think there's much, much, much ahead. But I think most importantly, it's uh, led by a very passionate founder um, that has a great vision. So um, awesome, awesome, awesome podcast, I think. Very um very knowledgeable i think and um before we leave off i always have three final questions to every guest uh, mm -hmm. so i'm also going to ask them to you the first one is what are you not very good at right now and you want to become better at my dutch okay yeah. that is clear I, i'm like working on it at this point i'm not as motivated to be very honest because i don't use dutch in in my work at all So we yeah. have someone who is focused on Dutch market, but I'm not uh, focused on Dutch market at all. So I, I even don't have many people to talk to in Dutch. So yeah. that, that requires that, uh, then I have to really like, uh, put extra effort. I think that's a struggle for all the expats uh, in the Netherlands. <laughs> <laughs> um, which title would you give this chapter of your life? Uh, the best time of my life. And that's nice. Um, And the last question is, if you could send the SMS to every mobile phone in this world, what would you say? 
Oh, that's such a cool question. I love it. I love it. Uh, well, uh, there's. I actually have a um, screensaver on my phone, and it says you have a daily income of eighty-six thousand four hundred seconds. Spend it wisely. This is a really, really nice message to everyone. I think. Yeah. <laughs> awesome, Victoria. Thank you so much for being part of the podcast. Uh, it was really, really nice to learn everything from you firsthand. Um, not only from the YouTube videos. Um, and I think a lot of people will be very excited to hear this episode. Thank you so much for hosting me. I very much enjoyed it. I love the questions. And I have to say that I really saw that you did amazing research. <laughs> That's really nice. Perfect. Thank you so much. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the 301 podcast again. Really good example that sometimes you just need to go for it, bootstrap your business to become successful and not be too afraid of all the consequences. It was a great lesson of Victoria and definitely a role model for everyone who was listening very closely to the small hints and tricks she gave during this podcast episode. We are back in two weeks with another amazing episode of the 301 podcast. Until then, stay safe. Yours truly, Marcus. <laughs>